Yeah, good. How you been? Very good, very good. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad we were able to make this happen. Um, you run the Selling Your Screenplay website. Um, Correct. And also have a podcast um, where you talk to screenwriters and producers and directors and all sorts of people. Uh, your website is really cool. You have an archive of scripts. There's like a script library and you offer a lot of advice uh, for screenwriters and tips. And um, how did this all start for you? When did you start uh, this website and the podcast? How did the whole thing come about? Yeah, so um, I, I've been a screenwriter for years since the mid '90s, and um, at some point, I just decided to. I had sold a few scripts, so at some point, I decided to write a book. It was kind of just an experiment, so I just wrote a sell. I wrote a wrote a book called "Selling Your Screenplay," yeah. just kind of relayed my adventures in Hollywood, how I had sold the scripts that I had sold, and um, and then I did self publishing with that book. And one of the first pieces of advice that the service that I used, it was a service. Called Called, and I still actually use them. Mm -hmm. Is a service called BookLocker, um, and this was probably over ten years ago now. And but the first piece of advice they gave to promote your book was start a blog. Mm -hmm. um, and so then I was like, okay, I'll start a blog. And truthfully, I never really sold many of the books off the blog. Um, but the blog did seem to get some traction, and it did seem to actually be valuable, and people enjoyed it. And um, so it just grew. And I started that in two thousand nine, and then I think in. Um, 2013 i then started the podcast um and i just between 2009 and 2013 podcasting kind of you know grew in popularity yeah. i kind of got into just listening to a lot of podcasts and i felt like a podcast would be a good way to um to, to just connect with screenwriters just hearing my voice and um just again just me relaying my adventures and then ultimately interviewing other writers directors producers and sort of hearing about how they got their movies made um how they got their scripts written how they got their scripts produced um i just thought was a good a good fit so that's kind of why i gravitated toward podcasts i listen to a lot of podcasts i yeah. like podcasting um you know as a consumer and so i i enjoy doing it as a um as a podcaster as well and 2013 kind of seems like a sweet spot to start a podcast, right? Because that's when they were just sort of taking off. And mm -hmm. I feel like the, the podcast market's more maybe saturated today than it was sure. back even, you know, like uh, six years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, at the time it felt saturated then, you yeah. know, you always feel like you're behind <laughs> the times a little bit, no yeah. matter where you're at. Um, cause there was a number of podcasts, screenwriting podcasts that were up and running at that point. Um, and I listened to them, you know, I, I stand still to this day, listen to some of them. Mm -hmm. Um, and many of them are still around. So it definitely, you know, there's more now, but you know, wherever we're at here in 2019, you know, in another six years, there'll be exponentially more podcasts. <laughs> right. So, you know, it just, I think it's a great medium and I think it's going to continue to grow and good information. You know, it's a great way of disseminating, you know, information to people. That's very, very niche. I don't really even listen to the radio anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, I had this, the XM radio or whatever. I was paying 10 bucks a month and it just got to the point where I just download a bunch of podcasts and whenever I'm ever I'm driving, you know, I can, I'd rather listen to a podcast that actually is specific to my interests, not just sort of generic radio or music or even the talk shows that were on XM radio. I just feel like podcasting is just, it's much more specific to me. 
Definitely, especially in that LA traffic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the way to kill some time. Yeah. Um, is that something that comes natural to you? Do you enjoy talking? You know, because your your background before that was primarily writing, um, and so this is more. You know, and for me, I was a journalist for a while. But I when I would okay. do an interview with somebody, nobody else heard it, just, just me and the person. And I, if I mm-hmm. recorded it, I would let them know of course. And, you know, the only person that would hear it was me. And then I would cringe when I heard my own voice. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, like, you know, it, was it something that came naturally to you speaking with people for extended periods of time? Um, <laughs> not not at all. I mean, yeah. you know, as you mentioned, my background is really in writing. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, a lot of screenwriters, myself included, I think we're more introverted. And we like to hunker down at our computers and, you know, write and be by ourselves. So no, it didn't come naturally to me. Um, and it's all those things that you just mentioned hearing your own voice you sound ridiculous you know you're ridiculous and at the end of the day you just have to kind of get over that and you know it's not like um you know the the most polished speakers in the world it's not like their first podcast was you know super great or whatever but Mm -hmm. um you know i just try and be transparent honest i try and ask questions to the guests that i'm interested in i am a screenwriter it's not like i'm you know it's not, I'm not someone that's just trying to create a screenwriting podcast. I'm actually a screenwriter. So the questions yeah. I ask, I think, you know, they come from a place of genuine interest. Um, and so that's just really what I try and do. But no, I have no real formal background or training. I do have a little bit of a technical background. I've worked as a web developer, as a programmer for many years. So mm-hmm. the technical challenges of podcasting, they weren't, those did not worry me at all because I kind of knew that I could get over those. Um, I had a friend um, the um, that, that ran a podcast and um, I went on his just as a guest once. And I kind of talked to him just about what is the involved technically to get it up and running and um, it didn't sound overwhelming to me again i am a little bit more technical maybe than the average person yeah. but um but it, it's no it doesn't come na- th- that part the, the 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 front end part does not necessarily i would say come come um naturally to me but uh you know with practice uh do you feel more comfortable doing it now these years later uh yeah. you're, you're in the the 270s right correct yeah correct episodes yeah, no, no doubt. And I still to this day, like, um, you can't see it, but up on my monitor right above where I am, I have a little thing that says stop saying, um, and slow down. <laughs> um, so I still have that up there and I remind myself, you know, you got us to, um, you yeah. know, um, you know, you just have to kind of be aware. And after a while, it does become second nature. You don't, you kind of just know to maybe take a split second pause instead of saying, um, um, and, and getting through that kind of stuff. So you know, it's yeah. not natural and it's, 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 it's awkward process. now. Yeah. Even to this yeah. day it is awkward, but you do get better with practice. Um, I have a, uh, I just did it again. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's hard to stop. Uh, I have a buddy who he, they have a podcast called the dead radio podcast and he did a montage of all his ums. He just spliced them all together and it's hilarious uh-huh. cause it's, uh, it's every, every episode at least, you know, yeah, yeah. Many, many ums. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it is really difficult to stop. Um, so you moved here from, where's you, where are you from? Correct. So I grew up in Annapolis, Maryland, um, East coast. Now I'm in Los Angeles, you know, as a screenwriter, I moved out here after college. I mean, I think I was the typical growing up in Annapolis, Maryland. There were not like a lot of role models in terms of like artists or creative types. There were not producers, directors, writers of any sort. Um, so 
the, the most artistic person I knew was like my classical guitar teacher who was, you know, giving guitar lessons out of her garage. Mm. Um, that was sort of the artist community in Annapolis, Maryland. So I didn't have a lot of role models, but I always loved movies and I just wanted to be a part of the, the process in some way. And for whatever reason, writing appealed to me. So I grew up in Annapolis, Maryland. I got an accounting degree in college, didn't really have any desire to do accounting. So me and a buddy just threw everything into a pickup truck and we just drove across the country and, you know, in the mid nineties landed here in Los Angeles and started writing scripts and trying to sell them. So what was that like when you hit the ground here in LA? Um, were you, you know, you have a degree in accounting, which doesn't seem applicable to, to screenwriting. Yeah. So it's not like you went to school for filmmaking and then came here and did an internship or something. So how, what was your journey into the, into the business? Yeah. So, I mean, it was just really just persistence. I just landed here, as I said, in the mid nineties in LA, we got an apartment. I mean, we had a little bit of money saved. And when I say a little bit, we're talking like $2,000. We didn't have a ton of money or anything. We didn't have jobs. You know, it took a little bit to just convince a landlord to let us rent the apartment when we didn't really have jobs and they made us put down a whole bunch of money. But I did, I played tennis in college. So that was my first sort of line of attack is I went around to the local tennis clubs and just to see if I get some kind of a job. And I did get a job at, um, uh, Toluca Lake Tennis Club over in Burbank, or I guess mm -hmm. actually Toluca Lake. I got a job there just working at the front desk and, and, and I met another guy, another guy who was um, there, he was getting a master's degree up at CSUN, Cal State Northridge, and it was in communications with an emphasis, I think his was on producing, but they had a communications master's degree with an emphasis on screenwriting. So I went up to CSUN and I got that. And I actually met a guy there, very nice guy, Stan Williamson, and he had just sold a screenplay as we were going through these courses together. And I just, one night walking out of class, I just asked him, how did you sell it? And he basically told me that he just started responding to all of these various ads in the back. Back then, again, in mid-90s, it was the Hollywood Reporter Daily Variety. Producers would post an ad, hey, I'm a producer, I've got this much funding, we need a script. And he would submit to those things consistently, and that's how he sold this script. So I just started doing that very, very consistently. Every week, I would go down to the public library, I would get all the trades, I would go through them, and I would just make my submissions. And eventually, I did. I sold my first script that way, um, optioned a bunch of things, and that's kind of what kicked me off. And I don't you know, as I sit here and describe it today, it seems like, oh, it was very easy, but it probably was took me two or three years of like submitting, you know, three, four, five, six submissions a week, probably for two or three years. So it took a long time. I would get little nibbles here and there, and those little nibbles would be just enough to kind of keep me encouraged and keep me going. Um, the first nibble I got, um, it was this crazy low budget filmmaker in Burbank. And, um, you know, he calls me up, he read one of my scripts, he liked to read me up and I go down there and um, he wanted to pay me $2,000 to write this feature film script and he had a couple ideas i guess maybe he had an outline or something um and he ended up actually hiring another writer so you know i didn't even get the job but you know he had done a bunch of these really low budget films and um again i just thought there's enough um there's enough interest and it just was just enough of a nibble to make me feel like hey this could work if i'm just persistent enough and so that's really been sort of my um, strength, if you will, is I've just been super persistent over the years. Probably even, you know, m persistence is probably my strength way ahead of something like my writing ability. There's probably lots of people out there that are, are better writers, but um, but I've just been super persistent and and slogged it out for years and years. And, and that's really how I broke in. And that's what I continue to do. And what was the first script that you 
So the first script, sold? yeah, the first script that I optioned, it was a script called Dish Dogs, and it actually ended up getting produced. And it was a, you know, I mean, it was a great experience in hindsight. At the time, it was somewhat painful because it was very much the sort of the classic Hollywood story where we sold this script. It was me and my buddy, the same buddy that I drove out here with from um, from the East Coast, and we sold it. The producers, you know, they completely rewrote it, so it wasn't really much left of our script in it. But um, that's just the way it goes, and you kind of got to get used to that. If you're going to sell scripts, you know, the producer, the director, the actors, they're higher in the pecking order than the screenwriter, so they're going to get to put their, you know, their fingers on the script, and that's what they did. And so it's not really our movie. I don't think it's a really a very good movie, but um, it was a sale. It was an option, and it did get produced, and that kind of, you know, got me going again. It, it wasn't like the movie made a big input impact on Hollywood or anything, but it was just enough of a success to kind of keep me motivated and keep me moving ahead and, and keep me writing and keep me optioning and selling other stuff. So once you had that first credit, did other work come easier? after no not not at all not even a little bit and i think that that's a, a myth that a lot of people come into this business with that oh if they could just sell that first thing it's all going to be downhill from there and for me anyways that didn't happen now i think that there are those sort of examples where like if the movie had been awesome and it won sundance then yeah i think that would have probably parlayed itself into some some success but i actually had gordy hoffman on on the on my podcast once and and he did have a script um that won sundance or, or won the waldo it won an audience choice award at sundance and that's exactly what he said he thought you know he'd get back to hollywood and you know the money trucks would just back up to his <laughs> his apartment and um it's just it doesn't quite happen like that again yeah. if the movie is a big hit then yeah it's probably going to take you up a level or two or three or four but um the main thing it did for me was make me appreciate the fact that the, the the battle was not over. The war was not won. There was still a lot of work to do. And I, I at the time, I thought, yeah, I'm going to be able to get an agent. I literally got the list of WGA signatory agents after I sold that script and it was in production. And there was like 400 agents on this list at the time back and again in the mid-90s. And I submitted to every single one. I made a career letter to every single one. I think maybe two or three of them responded and, and were willing to like read my scripts one of them I actually met with, and I remember walking in um, to to the office, and he's like, "Yeah, you know, a sale," because he knew the producers of the script. I think of the of the movie, and I think that's kind of why he met with me. And he was like, "Yeah, you know, selling a script to those guys, it's it's low budget. It's probably not going to do much for you, but it's a good first step." And my heart kind of sank. Um, yeah. I, I thought that I was off, you know, off and running, but um, it didn't work out like that. And Truthfully, every script that I've sold since then, it's felt like starting from scratch. It's new producers, new directors, new situations. It's just being persistent, as persistent as I was originally. And that's kind of the key ingredient. Uh, a lot of people would say, I just um, reread the Sid Field screenplay book. At the end of that, that's the, the last chapter, that's what he talks about is persistence Mm -hmm. um being sort of the, the the most being a good uh you know a great writer is of course the most important but being persistent and and not giving in not giving up and keep going is is uh, mm -hmm. maybe equally as and important 
truthfully, yeah. I even put persistence above Higher. being a, yeah. a great writer because yeah. the fact of the matter is some bad scripts do get sold. Some bad scripts do get produced. And we always wonder well, how that is. And and frankly, I've written a bunch of these bad scripts and a bunch of these movies that I've done are, yeah. are not very good. So, you know, if you want to know how I did it, it's just through brute force persistence. It wasn't, I mean, Dish Dogs was not a brilliant script by any stretch of the imagination. It nobody would say it was great but um i got, got it made. produced yeah. because i was so diligent with the uh, marketing of it is, is there a way that because uh, rejection is something that has happened you know for many screenwriters they mm -hmm. get rejected is there a way that or that you cope with being told no for a project that you really believe in or some advice you could give to other writers um that you know the way to process is there a way that you process that and just say i believe in this i know this other person may not like it but maybe they don't get it or something um that's a very it's 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 a very difficult question to answer and that's it's a rejection is like you're going to get rejected 99.9999999 percent yeah. of the time and that's okay because that's part of the process but the only thing I can say is, and maybe this is just, maybe I'm just delusional or, or, or narcissistic or whatever, but the, the rejection just never really bothered me truthfully. It's not mm. something that, um, it, it just, for whatever reason, it doesn't, it doesn't hit my ego or whatever. Um, and I don't know that I have a lot of coping mechanisms for it, but I just try and stay focused on writing new material and yeah. marketing new material. I, one thing I do see writers do a lot is they'll make a submission or two, and then they'll be excited about that. And they'll wait, Oh, when's he going to call me? When's, yeah. And it's like, when I make the submission, I don't even give it a second thought. I just assume I'll never hear from them again. Yeah. And I just keep writing and I keep making more submissions. And once somebody actually calls me back and then it becomes like, okay, this is an actual lead. But the amount of submissions that I make, it just, you don't, you don't have time to like worry about, oh, I wonder what they thought. It was like, I don't even remember who I'm submitting to. It's just, yeah. I just submit as often and frequently as possible. And I think staying focused on that instead of focused on, gee, I wonder why they didn't like me. And I'll just relay this one story. I had a, a film noir script um, called Irrefutable Evidence, and I eventually actually sold it in a, in a crazy deal. But at the time, and this was probably the script I marketed more than any other script. And I, I sent tens of thousands of query letters for this thing, if not a wow. hundred thousand. I mean, just thousands and thousands and thousands of query letters. And, you know, as an example, I had, you know, two at one point, two very well-established directors, producers read it and have very different takes. And this one guy, I had sold dish dogs. I submitted this script and he was like, oh, I'll take a meeting with you. So I, I had a meeting set up with him on Monday. I show up on Monday and I walk into his office and he was literally like, hey, I read your script. I thought it was garbage. I should have canceled this meeting. Sorry about that. Oh, wow. So he literally just thought the script was complete and utter garbage. And this is a, a producer that has some, you know, big Hollywood credits. Mm -hmm. And then I had another, you know, within this same six month window, I had another very well-established director called me and just love the script and think it was the greatest thing since sliced bread. So, you know, there's no accounting for taste. Yeah. And I mean, that's part of the difficulty of being a screenwriter. You, you have to be honest with yourself and you have to kind of read the tea leaves to some degree, but you can't beat yourself up. And it's like, if you submit it to two or three or five or even 10 places and none of them like it, that's not really enough 
enough data to be statistically significant. Mm -hmm. If you've submitted it to dozens and hundreds and thousands of places, then you start to get a feel for it. I recommend when new people come to me is, you know, there's a number of screenwriting contests out there, you know, submit to some of the screenplay contests, submit to 10 contests. And I mean, if you don't get out of the first round in any of the 10 contests, you're starting to get some data because it's not that hard to get like a, you know, an honorable, you know, a quarter finalist yeah. or, or a semi-finalist, you know, in some of these. And so if you're just getting, you know, crickets across the board that's kind of an indication but the key is reading screenplays like i get a lot of screenwriters coming to me say oh can you just read my script and tell me if it's it's on the right track or if it's good enough and it's like you know that's part of what you must do as a screenwriter you need to read scripts so that when you read your own script you can tell if it actually meets industry standards mm -hmm. and there you know the better the scripts get there it it becomes more subjective and so there's this sort of you know top 3% or 1% and it becomes much more subjective the better the script is but i can i can tell you this and this is again something that a lot of screenwriters come to this with a misconception that that like oh if my script is good enough it will get produced I can tell you that the greatest screenplay ever written, that screenplay would have trouble getting produced because it's hard to get a movie produced. No matter how good the screenplay is, it is an uphill battle to get everybody on the same page. And there is never going to be a screenplay in the history of, you know, screenplays that is going to just, everybody is going to love it. Everybody is going to read those white, black and white pages and be able to decide yes this is going to be great because it's a much more it's a very complicated equation even the most successful producers directors in the world they have some duds on their resume there are still they they cannot predict with certainty nobody can exactly what is going to make a good movie what is going to make a successful movie so well when you're in the early screenplay stages that's your job as a screenwriter read a bunch of scripts and decide if you decide for yourself if you think your script being honest is actually up to industry standards you mentioned competitions um I mean, there's obviously legitimate competitions. Do you, are some of them bullshit competitions, though, in all honesty? Well, yeah. So here's the thing about that. I know there's a sort of like I run into a lot of and I and I want to, you know, the first thing is, is I sell screenplay services on my own yeah. selling your screenplay.com. So I am someone that is in this sort of cottage industry of selling services to aspiring screenwriters. Now, the one thing I will say, I've had a number of people uh, over the years of that run these contests on my podcast and I've talked to them. I've gotten to know them. I've had lunch with some of them. As I said, I just mentioned um, Gordy Hoffman. He runs the Blue Cat screenplay competition. Right. I mean, these are well-meaning earnest people that are legitimately trying to help screenwriters. And I did compile a list of the screenplay contests that I thought were good. I think if you go to sellingyourscreenplay.com slash contests, but you can find it on my homepage if you just go to sellingyourscreenplay.com. But yeah. um, I've compiled a list of like nine or 10 reputable contests that I know for sure are legitimate contests. Now, once you fall sort of to those second tier, third tier contests, yeah, they're, I've never met anybody. Like the thing about it is, these contests, like if you're going to be, if you're going to scam somebody, you're not going to skip like a screenplay contest is yeah. not the way to do it. Right. I mean, because the, the, the problem with a screenplay contest is you need a large volume of, of entries to make it worth your while. And scammers, they're going to go the opposite direction. They're going to want to do something that's a, a high ticket item where they only need one or two suckers, because that's going to be an easier 
an easier con for them. So I, you, you have to go into these things understanding what you're getting into. If you enter the Joe Blow screenplay contest yeah. of the Midwest, is it really <laughs> going to help your career a lot? Right. Probably not. But I will say this, and I've had, you know, I every 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 screenwriter that I have on my show, I ask them, how did you break into screenwriting? And again, as a guy from Annapolis, Maryland, and I've seen this play out, there was a guy I had, now his name is forgetting me, but he was ended up creating a number of TV shows very successful screenwriter and his start was some midwest screenwriting contest it didn't amount to anything but what it did was it gave him a little bit of confidence and it gave him just enough of sort of a confidence to actually make that move to Hollywood and to actually take those next steps. So understand what these contests, these low level contests, are they going to help your career in a direct way? Or do they have, you know, does the person running that contest uh, have Steven Spielberg's direct phone number? Yeah. Probably not, but that doesn't mean it can't be beneficial to you. And the smaller screenplay contests, the good news is, and I've seen this because I know people that run some of these small contests, they're getting like a hundred entries or less than a hundred entries. So your chances of winning or placing are actually pretty good. And so again, it gives you a little bit of confidence just to know that out of a hundred entries, you got a quarterfinals. You were in the top 10%. That can be enormously beneficial as someone like myself from Annapolis, Maryland, doesn't have any role models of screeners. I didn't know what I was doing. It was just really trial and error. So there can be some benefits like that. It also can be beneficial in the sense that when you're pitching producers or agents or managers, you can say, hey, by the way, this screenplay got a semifinalist in, uh, you know, in the Joe Blow Midwest screenwriting contest. And yeah, it's not super impressive, but it's something. Yeah. And there's a little bit of vetting going on. And the managers and the producers and the 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 agents, you know, just that little thing. If they like the log line and they say, well, you know, it got a placement here, maybe I'll take a look at the script. So it's these things are nuanced and subtle. And you know, the little, I mean, frankly there's the nickels contest which is high end there's a couple of sort of prestige contests which legitimately can help your career um i've had john rhodes who runs screencraft on um, on my blog again he really goes all out he tries to really help his screenwriters all of these sort of top tier contests those guys they do have connections in the industry and they are going to try and actually help you by winning so that's great but the lower level contests Maybe, maybe not, but understand what they're going to do for you and go in with the proper expectations. I have never really run into one where I thought it was just an out-and-out -out scam, where yeah. they're just taking money and not doing anything. Some of them are horribly disorganized, but it's the same thing with film festivals. You know, yeah. at this point, I've been to a number of film festivals, and some of them are better than others. Some of them are horribly disorganized. Some of them are not worth attending, but... I've never met someone that was just, they're just trying to scam people. I, I just don't think a, a scam would come in the form of a contest or a, a, um, you know, a film festival. It's just, it's too much work, yeah. you know, for the money. You're, and I mean, if you get a hundred entries at $50, it's like, that's $5,000. Is that really, I mean, what do you, right. like, that's not a scammer. It's, it's so just they're not too trying much to build this, the screenwriters, their, their, their intentions yeah. are good. Yeah. I, I legitimately, I think yeah. they're trying to help them, whether they have good intentions is my, is basically my assessment of a lot of these small contests. When you finish a script, should a, a screenwriter go out into the world with the idea that they should have a marketing budget then? Because like you're saying, if you enter five screenwriting competitions, at $70 a pop, that's $350, you know what I mean? Plus, yeah. if you have an IMDb uh, subscription and you know, you're a part of these other um, you know, services, maybe like services like your own, sellingyourscreenplay.com uh, or whatever, you know what I mean? So should you have a mindset that I need to spend some money up front 
to get this out there to the world? Well, I I don't think it's a bad idea. I mean, there's a, there's only really two two scenarios here. You you either are going like if you don't want to spend a bunch of money marketing your material, you better have a bunch of free time because it's going to take a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And the tools that I've tried to build through selling your screenplay, that's really all they are. It's not anything you couldn't do on your own. I've just done it myself, so I've saved you that time. So you can just plug into my system and and go out there. And again, a lot of these tools, there's InkTip. I use InkTip, and I've actually optioned scripts off of InkTip before. I think that's a good service. There's another one called The Blacklist. I think that's a little more higher-end prestige scripts. It can be a little bit pricey. But again, these services are out there, and I think that they are worth spending some time. Obviously, my own service. There's a number of these sorts of services, and I do think it's smart to just set aside some money to to spend on those again if you don't have a lot of money then just expect to to spend a lot of time because there's also very cheap freeways you can go to imdb pro and it's like 15 dollars a month and there's thousands of producers and directors and agents and managers that have their email addresses in the imdb pro system so you can go and you can build your own list you can email them and it's only 15 dollars a month so it's pretty inexpensive but you're going it's going to take a lot of time so that's kind of the 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 bouncing act you know i just saw a video on on the mounting college debt that um people have and you know this person has two hundred thousand dollars worth of college debt it's like i mean to me, like if you're going to spend, you know, ten thousand dollars marketing your screenplays, that seems like a wise investment as opposed to two hundred thousand dollars worth of college debt. Which in this day and age, I'm not sure most of these colleges are even really giving you anything close to two hundred thousand dollars worth of value. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, this is it's if you want to be a professional, you know, act like a professional. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to spend a lot of money, but if you don't have a lot of time, then it might be a way of sort of circumventing spending all that time building your own list networking on social media tweeting to people trying to friend people on facebook those other sort of networking things it might be better to spend a little money but again if you don't have money there's certainly free ways to do it and so you made the the trek out here to la in the 90s um mm-hmm. I, this was you know predating skype and things like that uh email i mean do you think and at that time that everyone had recommended to move to LA. Do you think it's as important today to move to LA as it was in the mid nineties with all the technology that we have and the, and the resources? Yeah. So, okay. So that's a good question. And I hesitate to give you an answer because I think it's going to give people some sort of false hope. I think you're probably right. It probably is a tad easier to break in now than it was 20 years ago with a, given all the technology. But here's the thing. It's this, what you're trying to do, become a professional screenwriter. It's very, 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 very difficult. And anything you can do to give yourself a leg up is probably worth doing if you're serious about it. I mean, if you kind of want to just do it as a hobby or whatever, you know, that's a different story. But if you're serious about being a professional screenwriter, it's hard for me to imagine that it it would not be in your best interest to move to LA because there's, there's so many, again, and I'm not talking about just the physical contact, like you might bump into Steven Spielberg at the Starbucks, you're going to bump into other people like yourself, young people that just rolled into town and you're going to network with those people. And some of those people are going to make it. Some of those people are going to go up the ladder and you can kind of get to know them. You can meet them. You can be in writer's groups. You can go to drinks with them. I mean, I just can't tell you like, you know, I have two young kids and you know, there's, I've met 
people that are in the business through my kids. I'm an adventure guy. The YMC adventure guys with my daughter. One of the other dads is a producer. You know, these people are in the business. Um, there's just, you just run into those things being in LA and those are, those are going to be beneficial long-term, those types of connections, those networking. And again, it just, it, it shows people a certain level of seriousness. If you have an LA phone number, if you have an LA address, um, they know that they can pick up the phone. They can have a meeting at Starbucks with you. They can just get to know you. Um, and that's at the end of the day too. It's it's you're 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 trying to build a network. Like you're not necessarily trying to sell this script. You're trying to just build a network of people, and that's going to be because then ultimately that network of people, you might be able to sell your scripts to them. You might be able to get writing assignments from them, and that's the really the way this works. It's not just you know hurling screenplays into this black hole and hoping that something lands. It might, but if you're not in LA, you're always going to be sort of on the outside looking in. Um, mm. But to answer your question, it probably is a little bit easier now with Skype and these kinds of things. No, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, yeah, you never know who you're going to run into and where you're going to run into them. So mm -hmm. things happen in weird ways. Um, and also when you moved here during that time, you had mentioned the trades like the Hollywood Reporter and other like magazines. It was like classified ads? Correct. Yeah, it was literally, yeah, literally in the back of those trade magazines that would just be a classified ad and Again, it would just be a oh, it, because what happens is the lower level production companies, these sort of independent films, these sort of independent genre films, there's a lot of them being made, but those producers, they're not at the A list level. So they don't have access to the writers at CAA or UTA. So what they have to do is they have to go out and find scripts. And one of the ways, I'm sure they do it a variety of ways, you know, they network and they know people and blah, blah, blah. But one of the ways they do it is they just put out sort of open calls. And that was how they did it back in the 90s. I think that stuff has basically moved on. There is still some on Craigslist. If you go to Craigslist under Los Angeles writing gigs, you will see a lot of people um, advertising for scripts, especially short scripts. Again, a lot of these are like student filmmakers, guys just out of film school. They don't have a lot of connections, but those are not bad leads to submit to. If you don't have any credits, submitting to those, it's free. That's another free avenue. Go to Craigslist, the Los Angeles section of Craigslist, look under writing gigs and just look for people looking for scripts and you will find some them. And again, they're not going to be high budget. Spielberg is not looking for his next movie on Craigslist. I think we can all agree <laughs> on that. But 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 here's the thing: the next Spielberg, the Spielberg of of the future, the future he, right. he actually might be on Craigslist, and he <laughs> might be doing a short film this summer, and and that might be the person that you can send this this short script to. He might actually go and direct it, and that might be a relationship that builds as his career grows, your career can grow with it, and that's just how these things can work. So you touched on it a little bit with Craigslist, IMDb Pro, but what are the other classifieds of today? Is it is it those avenues? How are you find how um, do you find people today? Correct. So I have my own service at, at SYS Select, and I actually send out paid screenwriting leads um, to my members. So that's one way. Ink Tip I mentioned earlier is another one, and sort of a similar service um, where they send out leads every week. The Blacklist is a is a database where you upload your script, you buy a couple of reviews, and if the reviews are good, then producers, according to their algorithm, the um, algorithm will suggest your script to agents, managers, producers who use their service and log in to look around and find scripts. Um, so there's a number, I'm trying to think of some of those, um, Virtual Pitch Fest is another one that I've tried. Um, they have done a good job building relationships with these agents, managers, and producers, and you, I think it's about $10 per pitch, but you can pitch directly to some of these companies that 
ordinarily would not take unsolicited submissions. Um, so there's a number of them. As I said, Ink Tip, The Blacklist, my own services, um, mm. Virtual Pitch Fest. I'm just trying to think. And then the contest. I definitely would say um, the contest is another avenue that newer screenwriters should check out. Stage 32, I actually had someone the other day um, mention to me that they optioned a script off of Stage 32. So that's another place where some, it's not, again, it's not going to be Spielberg, but some of these yeah. lower level producers, they're going to be on places like Stage 32, just trying to find a script to produce. Um, and I just, just within the last week or two, I did, I had someone mention that they optioned a script. I said, how'd you do it? And they said Stage 32. So that's another possibility. I know Stage 32 has these um, little pitch sessions that you could book mm -hmm. with people uh, they're like $35 each or something and uh, you could you could either submit a written uh, pitch or you could do mm -hmm. a, I think a phone pitch or a Skype pitch or something yeah. like that yeah yeah um, so I did one of those once I, I, I'm just like a naturally curious person so I'll kind of try <laughs> yeah. anything and I actually did one of those um, and the, the the thing my assessment to that was was um, Again, you have to understand how this particular system works, and in that case, you can you know you can you buy the pitch, whatever it is, thirty bucks, forty bucks, fifty bucks. You buy the pitch, but you know the specific executive that you're pitching to. So you, this is not a shotgun approach. This is a precision laser approach. So you want to make sure that your screenplay lines up with what that executive is actually looking for. Yeah. And my suggestion to people is though these people on the other end of this this Skype call, those are real human beings as well. And so you know, I would target, I would go to stage thirty-two, look at all of the different executives that have these these potential Skype pitch sessions set up target a few of them and go back to them over and over again go and pitch them and they will start that's a way where you can actually start to get to know them just keep pitching them different scripts and every time that they pop up as having another pitch session spend the money and go after them have another script pitch them a horror script pitch them another horror script another horror script and they will get to know you and if you're feeling like you know there's any kind of chemistry or any kind of connection with that executive you know keep keep going with that but again that's a very much a precision laser so you're gonna have mm. to do your due diligence understand who you're pitching to um and 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 make the most of it it's because it's expensive it's a very pricey way of doing it um as opposed to more of a shotgun approach but i do think again it can work it's a way of networking it's a way of meeting people so yeah i i think i don't know if it, if many screenwriters feel this way but i know some do like if there's a, a dollar sign attached to something like that like maybe they're going to get played. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. that's why I had mentioned about the contests and um, like, you know, th there's maybe a little stigma attached to, well, I'm paying for this person's time. So are they really going to take me seriously? You know what I mean? Yeah. But, uh, but there are stories which you're, you're saying that people do option things this way. So it's, yeah. I, yeah. Again, just keep, keep your eye focused on sort of the long ball. Yeah. I mean, it, very, very unlikely. I don't know that I've ever heard of anybody actually selling a script directly from one of those pitch sessions, but it is a way of just networking and meeting people. And again, I, I can guarantee you if you pitch to the same executive three different scripts and your pitch is good, it's professional, it's well thought out, they will remember you. And you know, at some point they might request one of your scripts and then all of a sudden you've got their email address and then you're emailing with them and then you don't have to pay the $35 once you have 
their email address. Then every time you finish a new script, you're building a Rolodex of people that you can just submit to directly. So you've got this executive's email address. You have a, a somewhat of a relationship with them. And yeah, there's some of that. And I hear these same sort of stories where, you know, nobody in the office wants to go to these pitch tests. And so they send the intern, you know, the new guy, the intern. But again, is that intern, does he have the juice to sell a script, to buy a script and get it produced? Probably not in the short term, mm -hmm. but those interns of today are the executives of tomorrow. And so building a relationship with them early, early in their careers, they're going to be very open to reading scripts from new writers because they don't know any better and they don't have access to the top writers. So those are the people that you do want to know. Again, it's not going to happen overnight and it's going to be a lot of hard work. It could take two years or five years or 10 years, but those relationships are, are really how you're going to get this you're, that's how you're going to move the ball forward and don't get caught up in sort of the short term because I get those questions all the time. Well, how many scripts have been sold through your email and fax blast service? And when yeah. I get those questions, the, the, I, I, it's like the person is not understanding exactly what this is if they're asking those questions. This mm -hmm. isn't about selling a script tomorrow. This is about building a career over the course of many, many months, many, many years and building those relationships movie making is not a a solo pursuit i mean you're no matter even if you're the the most charismatic you know efficient smartest guy in the world <laughs> nobody is going to make a movie by themselves right. and need other people and that's going to involve connections as a writer you need a director you need a producer as a director you need a producer as a producer you need a director and a writer and actors you know it's just you need that that team and you need to build that team and again going back to what i said about craigslist that's why i'm so high on places like craigslist a lot of you know, guys straight out of film school, you'll even see film students. A lot of those guys, they're doing short films. Maybe they'll pay you a hundred bucks if you're lucky for the script. Maybe they'll pay you 10 bucks. Maybe they'll pay you nothing. But again, you're getting credits. You're building just a network of people. You might just get to know an actor, one of the actors. You might click with one of the actors on that set. And that guy, you know, he goes on to do something. And then all of a sudden, you know that guy. I mean, that's how this works. And everyone yeah. says, well, you know, like I don't know anybody in the business. Yeah, well, nobody's born nobody. I mean, some people are born in LA and they had their dad was, was so they're born with maybe some bigger Rolodex to start out, but we all got to meet people. We all got to network and we all got to just build that. Um, that's part of the career. That's part of what we're doing. It's not just purely the writing. We can't just rely purely, oh, I'm just going to be the great writer and somebody will find me. Yeah. You have to leave your desk once in a while and go and mingle with the world. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's who you know, and um, that's that's a great that's great advice. Meeting people slowly, you know, developing relationships. It doesn't happen overnight. Um, mm -hmm. And can we talk about the the pinch? So sure. the pinch is uh, your project. That's uh, your script. You also directed the pinch. Correct, correct, yeah. yeah. And just as a plug for the pinch, it's on Amazon um, Prime right now. So if you're a member of Amazon Prime, you can watch it for no um, oh, no additional cool. fee. You just go to Amazon.com, you know, type in the pinch, and it'll pop up. And please leave a review. Um, I love to see the reviews on it. So, anyways, that's available. But to to that was that project. It was. I, I wrote it, directed, and for the most part, produced it as well. Yeah. So that was just purely my project. And like. <laughs> 
I don't want to like screenwriting is a very difficult pursuit. And as I said, creatively, it's not always that fulfilling because your scripts always get changed. So I kind of just decided I wanted to do a project at whatever level and it's super low budget. I raise the money and whoever raises the money in this business, that's the person that ultimately holds the cards. Yeah. So I raised the money as the producer and then I wrote it and I directed it. And you may watch the movie and think it's complete garbage, but at least I, it's, you know, I can take responsibility for everything and whatever problems the movie has they're on me and the the flip side of that is that whatever good things are in the movie it's purely on me as well yeah. so i i find that like that's why i got into this business was i enjoy being creative and seeing sort of my vision you know played out um and and creatively that that there've been no projects that have been um as fulfilling as the pinch just being able to do what i want creatively throughout the process so the log line is a low-level mobster captures and sort of torture or or does torture uh, his boss to get the bonus he was promised. Mm -hmm. Correct, correct, yeah. And I wrote it knowing, I kind of had a couple of locations in mind, and so I wrote it knowing that um, this would be a, a low-budget movie and I wanted to keep it super contained so that I could shoot it on a low-budget. I mean, there's no you know big car chases or anything that's going to cost a lot of money it's very contained within how within a few houses um a little bit of driving here and there but it's basically a very contained movie and i wrote it with that in mind i wrote it from the get-go just thinking this is something that i'm probably going to try and shoot myself so keeping the scenes like no crazy special effects for example correct yeah, correct stuff yeah like that. correct um and so that was something, can you talk a little bit about how you raised the money? Was it like through a Kickstarter or sure. something like that? Yeah, yeah. So I basically went into it just figuring what can I do on the money that I can raise. And so I knew I could basically kick in 10,000 or 12,000 on my own. I had another friend that um, he's an actor. He's really like, he was actually an accounting major with me in college, but um, he's done some acting. So he kicked in about 5,000. And then I did a Kickstarter for the rest. And I think I got about 12,000 from the Kickstarter. So all in, it's about a $30,000 movie. But a lot of the like the hard dollars are just me personally kicking in my own hard dollars and then as i said i had one friend that kicked in some as well and then the rest was through through kickstarter you have to do the math but it came to about thirty thousand. um is what the what the um total budget ended up being for it and when you um like when you visualize the finished product were you thinking of shopping it to different platforms or did you have um like you know like amazon or something like that where you could make, get revenue streams from yeah um with independent film and again, you have to go in with the proper expectation. With an independent film like this, there's no name cast. I mean, I had a what I consider a great cast. I all the actors I think did a yeah. fantastic job, but they're not name cast. They're not famous, you know, actors. Sure. So that makes it very, very difficult to sell the movie like it really does and so i knew going into this that this was not really going to be something that would make its money back or make me a lot of money but i also knew as a screenwriter there's been a number of times where i've been a, a, a hired screenwriter for a specific project and i've been privy to some of the conversations about well who should we get to direct this project and i knew or i, I thought that if I have a credit where I've directed a feature film, mm. that might be me and that might be enough for me to start getting in contention to actually direct some of these projects that I'm being hired to write. So that was one angle that I was trying to play. The other thing, and I kept I, I said a moment ago that you really can't make money from independent films. And the one way where I think you can make money from independent films is by getting the distribution 
as early in the process as possible so that you are making a film that the distributor knows he can sell. So again, going back to this, what I've been saying, this business is all about the relationships and networking. So I felt like th this, this, I, I knew I could afford to lose the 10 or $12,000 that I was investing in this thing. And so I looked at it as kind of a calling card. This will be a way for maybe me to start some of those conversations with distributors. Hey, I'm a writer director. I did this feature film, low budget feature film. What do you think of it? And I, I've had a number of those conversations, and I think it's actually is kind of working. I've, I optioned a script actually through InkTip. Um, I optioned a script, and conversation with that producer came out and said, oh, would you like to direct the project? Yes, I would like to direct the project. I have Oop, are you there, Ashley? Meetings with I'm sorry, sorry, you cut out a little bit. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, what I was saying was I have had a number of meetings with the distributors um, and that's, and they didn't necessarily want this film, but they took me seriously enough to, you know, talk to me on the phone, email me, meet me in person. And so I've started to talk to them about my next project. I've started to try and get them involved earlier on my next project. Mm. And I'm probably going to have to take it on the chin for another project, but I'm, I'm a little further along and I have a little bit of a relationship with some of these distributors and maybe on my next project, I actually, actually can make my money back or maybe even make some money. Is that a, a goal of yours to direct other projects and do you enjoy yeah. directing? Well, this I'm not sure I necessarily animal. enjoy the directing, <laughs> okay. but um, it's, it's, I enjoy having that creative control. Like that's yeah. really why I went into this. And so I think that's, that's kind of where I sit. I wouldn't even have a problem writing and producing a film and having someone else direct it frankly um i frankly think i'm probably a better producer than i am director but um but i do think that keeping control of that is kind of what i enjoy and that's kind of what i have and so that's what i want to try and bring to these distributors and that's sort of the direction that i think i am going because some of these scripts i've sold that have been produced the experiences have been so painful creatively um i just I, it just it becomes to the point. It's a lot of work, and I just don't know that it's worth. Yeah, at least for me, where I am in my life right now, I don't know that it's worth the effort to sell another script when I know it's just going to get ripped apart. Mm. One thing that I've done to help um, market scripts is come up with short trailers. Hmm. Um, so I've done for the last two scripts that I wrote, feature scripts, I created like little minute and a half trailers for them, just because I feel like people are more inclined to watch a minute and a half uh, mm -hmm. short film than they are to read, you know, a hundred page screenplay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and here's the one thing I get a lot of people asking me specifically that question. And the one warning I would have for people that are thinking about this is mm -hmm. you have to remember that if you are sending a trailer to a Hollywood producer or Hollywood director, or Hollywood agent, they are expecting something of high professional quality. High and if you send something that looks like you made it at home and you don't really know, <laughs> you know, you don't know a lot about yeah. directing, producing and, and editing and sound design. If you don't really understand those things, you're going to end up submitting something that is less than professional. And I think that can actually hurt your chances. But if you have the, the, the skills and the know-how to make a professional trailer, I think it can work. I've seen that work um, numerous times. So it definitely is a good idea, but just be honest with yourself. Does this thing that I'm sending out, does this really look professional or does it look super low budge? Mm. No, that's that's a really good point. Um, so it's not really um, polished. You could you could really be shooting yourself in the foot. If yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Um, could you talk about so also uh, Man Overboard? 
um, that's about a boat salesman and this kind of tyrannical sort of boss that comes in and abuses the employees um, and also like rush lights um, Mm -hmm. that's uh, like a a con job to to steal an inheritance. Um, How did did movies like that, how did your um, scripts get, get, produced in the, like those stories compared to the pinch, which is well, sort of your baby. Um, so rush lights, rush lights was an exact rush lights was exactly what I just described earlier. That was literally a script that, um, where the producer or the director put an ad in the trades and I submitted it. He picked it up and he literally had the script optioned for 10 years. And then he finally bought the script wow. and it took him another three years to get through post-production. So it was a 13 year cycle from the time I first optioned the script to the produced film. It took 13 years. Wow. So keep yeah keep that in mind but it was it was literally a cold submission through one of these ads in the back of the trades the other one man man overboard um that was a um a producer named mark heidelberger who ended up becoming my producer i submitted to him it was a cold query letter i think i just probably got his information off imdb pro or maybe the holly crave directory but i just made a cold submission to him and he liked my material and my writing partner's material and so he ended up taking us on as a as a manager so he was our literary manager for years and then that was a script that we developed with him and then he ended up producing it and me and my writing partner in that case we ended up raising a lot of the money as well and then again we'd be over the course of these years we became pretty good friends um, with Mark and so he ended up him and his partner Jesse um, they ended up being the producers on the project but um, but yeah that's that came from ultimately it was just a cold submission you know, where I was pitching a bunch of scripts to him. He read one or two that he liked. And, and actually that's another good point. I will, I will, um, one little caveat there. I actually, I submitted some scripts to Mark. Um, let's just say in January, he read them and he kind of liked them, but he didn't get back to me. And then six months later, I was again, just being persistent. I sent him another script or two and he read those and he actually liked those a little better, but he remembered me from the first time. And, you know, he was real close to whether he was going to call me and have a meeting the first time. So then he read this second script was like, okay, I really like this. And again, it's that persistence. If I had only made one of those submissions, I don't know that I would have ever had that meeting with him. But it was the fact that I submitted a couple of scripts that he kind of liked, and then I submitted a couple more scripts and that he kind of liked. And that was enough. The, the combination of those two submissions was enough for him to call me up and say, hey, what are you doing? Let's go have a, a meeting at a coffee shop down here in Hollywood. And so that's how that relationship started. What's your day like in terms of like, do you write a certain amount of hours a day and then say, all right, well, for these other two or three hours or whatever, I'm going to just send query letters? Yeah. So it it, de- it really depends on, on what I'm actually working on or doing. So I do have um, selling your screenplay and I have another website that I run in a completely different niche. So that does consume a lot of my time as well. But I try and write in the mornings. I feel like my um, my best, most productive time is in the morning. So I get up in the morning. I'm pretty diligent. I have young kids. They get off to school, you know, 7.30, 7.45. So I usually try and spend like an hour or two in the morning just writing. And this is when I'm just working on a spec script, just something on my own. I will try and spend an hour or two um, just writing. And then I kind of go off 
off of my day-to-day -day thing. And that does involve running these other sites as well as sub making submissions and queries. Over the last couple of years, I've slowed down on my query submissions just because, again, I'm sort of pursuing more of the producing angle. And so lately, I've been you know, spending that morning time. Really, I'm making a shot list. I have a horror script that I'm kind of prepping and doing a shot list. And then I spend as soon as we get off this call, I'm going to go through and start, I'm trying to raise the money. So that's just a lot of phone calls, emails. It's a lot of just thinking about who can I go to. So that's a lot of the time that I'm spending now is literally trying to raise the money for this next project. In your peak though, of like sending query letters, uh, like how much time did you dedicate to that? Well, when, when you were, when I say your sure. peak, I mean like when I mean, when you're sending out like bulk, query letters. You know yeah, I mean? yeah. So um, keep in mind, as I mentioned earlier, I do have a background in programming. So I was able to build tools that were pretty efficient, where I could load in lists of, you know, 1000, 5000, 8000 email addresses, and I could send those things out in about 15 minutes. Oh, and wow. that's actually a service that I sell on selling your screenplay now. So, um, so I, it took me a while to build the tools. But then I got to the point where I could blast these things out so quickly and easy, it wasn't really a big time consumer but the bigger so i don't know that there was ever a time um well back well back back in the day before i kind of got into that back in the day after i sold dish dogs in the 90s was sort of before a lot of this and so i would i was i pretty much i sold dish dogs i had a couple other things option and so i was just determined to write full time and it was i don't know if it was a 50 50 split but it was probably 60% writing and 40% marketing. Again, the marketing often feels kind of nebulous because you're doing things that don't really seem to add much value to kind of your overall strategy. And right. sometimes there's a lot of dead ends, but that's part of the process and you just can't beat yourself up on that. But I would say for someone who's working like a full-time job or something, once you have two or three or four scripts that you feel pretty good about, I think a 50-50 split between marketing and writing is probably not a bad strategy. Um, and in my height of, of, the, of the queries, before sort of the real bulk email queries that I was making when I was like stuffing envelopes and getting self-addressed stamp oh, postcards, again, back in the late 90s, yeah. um, it was probably pretty close to a 50-50 split for me. Wow. Yeah, that must have been really time consuming to, uh, it was, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but truthfully, you know, that's the irony is it was, it was harder for me, but it was harder for everyone else. So companies weren't inundated with the, the, the volume of queries. Right. So those when like, it would take me like an afternoon to send out a hundred query letters. But, um, so I would just kind of do that. I would just do like a hundred query letters every day for a couple of weeks, but you would get a much better response rate. Now it's like, I send out 5,000 query letters via email. And if you get 10 responses, I mean, I mean, whatever you could do the math on that 5,000 yeah. query letters, 10 responses. Whereas back in the day when you sent mail letters, I would get like three or four, yeah, three or four script requests per hundred um, hard mail letters that I would send. So you got a better response rate. So, you know, minute for minute, I don't know that there was a lot different um, in terms of how many submissions you're making. You just have to make a lot more submissions because it's yeah. more it's more efficient to make them now. Yeah. I mean, producers must just be inundated with yeah. emails of, and uh, uh, do you know, like, do you have an inside glimpse of what happens to those emails? So they send them to, if they're interested, send them to an assistant to, to take a look or. Yeah. You know, I mean, what? yeah, it's exactly what you would think. I mean, yeah. most of the time they probably just get deleted. Right. The person kind of looks at and deletes them. And, um, and that's fine. Cause again, this is a, a numbers game. Um, but, if you have a good logline and the script gets submitted, I mean, a lot of the a lot of the smaller companies, 
A lot of the smaller companies that are open to cold submissions like this, they're honestly, they're not going to have an intern or an assistant. They're going to read the script themselves. Mm. So, um, so it's not always just, it's not always this maze of people that's going to go through your things. The bigger companies obviously will have more bureaucracy, but, um, a lot of the smaller producers that are open to cold query letters, they're going to read the material themselves. They may only read the first three pages or 10 pages. If they don't like it, they're not going to keep reading. Right. But, um, but I found that in a lot of cases, the actual producer, you'll be interacting with the actual producer or director. Oh, wow. Um, can you outline a little bit? You have a cool service, which is like a blast service um, mm -hmm. that you have. It's like seems like a newsletter kind of thing where uh, there's thousands of industry professionals that you have in a database sure. and you, I guess, in include log lines. Could you outline that service yeah, sure. a little bit? So there's a number of services that I have to telling a screenplay select. And that's the first service is like leads. We have paid screenwriting leads that we're disseminating to the to our, our member, members. So that's one part of it. The next step is there's a monthly newsletter. And I have basically gone out to producers and said, hey, I have this database of scripts. I have all of these screenwriters. Would you like to get pitches every month? So I have maybe 400, 450 producers that have actively said, yes, I want to get your newsletter. And basically every member of SYS Select can include one log line in every newsletter. So that goes out once a month to these 400 producers and they read them and then they request the script or they read the script that way. And then my other service is pretty much what I've described how I've sold most of my scripts. And it's really an email and fact blast service and these are cold submissions i've basically built a big list and i think my agents and managers list has about 500 contacts on it and my producers list has about 5,000 contacts on it so again you're going to load up your query letter into my system and i'm going to blast it out and it's going to go to these people and then you're going to get the script quest and it's sent it's sent directly from the writer's email address so the responses are going to go back directly to the writer and i'm not you know selling your screenplay is not going to be in the middle of that relationship the email is going to go out as if it's coming from the writer and then the producer is going to respond if they're interested directly back to the writer and then the writer is going to take it take it from there i think what's really cool about what you're doing and your service is that um you are actually a screenwriter you've optioned scripts you've made movies you've been in the trenches you know what i mean like and um you're, you're selling some like you have um the calling card to, to be doing what you're doing. You know what I mean? Like you, uh, you're someone that has, has really done it. So, uh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the, the services that I sell really, they're things that I myself have gotten value out of. Now yeah. with that said, um, every service does not work for every screenwriter. And so you need to try everything and figure out what works for you. I never had a lot of luck in screenplay contests. I don't exactly know why, but for whatever reason, my, I always had a, I always had better luck going directly to producers, getting my script in the hand of producers. And I have some theories on why that is, but you have to kind of figure out what, what's what, where your scripts are going to resonate most. That might be in contest. You might enter contests and do really well there. You might try my email and fax blast and not get a good reception. So you've got to try things, figure out what works for you, and then double down on those things. And the services that I offer are just things that I know work because they're things that I've had success with. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work for you. Try other things. My services should only be one piece of the things that you're trying. My It should not be in, you know exclusive to everything else. You should be trying everything and then figuring out what's best for you and doubling down on those things that actually seem to work for your material.
So we're coming back to persistence and <laughs> just being yeah, exactly, persistent. exactly. Yeah, and and uh, trying all avenues of mm-hmm. of breaking through. Um, one thing I just I had to touch on um, that you mentioned. So you optioned the script for thirteen years, and yeah. um, that's that's a crazy long time. Was there? Were you well, it was ten years every year or the, something. It was ten years, and he um, he bought the script after ten years. It then took him three years to get the movie produced. Oh, I see. But still, but, but that's it, considerably still, a long time. Yeah. So, so 10 years. Um, and yeah, I just, you know, in an, a typical option agreement, there's usually a renewal clause. So I, I think it was like $750. I really don't even remember. Maybe it was $500 every six months. So he just kept renewing it for $500 every wow. six months um, for 10 years. Um, and eventually, <laughs> yeah, eventually bought the, bought the script. So you just uh, you never know. And, and the, 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 the one little kernel of, of wisdom I'll give you from that, that story was it was a film noir script, sort of this heist thing. But the main character was this guy who wasn't the smartest guy in the world, but he was doggedly determined and he was super <laughs> persistent. And but you laugh because here's the thing. If you write a stoner comedy, you're going to probably attract a stoner producer. Right. It may work out for you, but you don't necessarily want your producer or to be smoking a lot of pot. You want someone that's super persistent. So just, you know, keep in mind who's going to be attracted to your material. Right. If it's a stoner comedy, those can work, but you know, be leery of that. But but this one had had this person and I give the guy credit. He was persistent. I mean, he optioned that thing for 10 years and he eventually <laughs> got the thing made. And that was, you know, a metaphor for this guy, this protagonist in this story. Well, I think that's the the word of this episode <laughs> is persistence. And uh, everyone remember that uh, if you take nothing else away from this conversation. Um, but Ashley, this was such a pleasure talking with you. Uh, it's hey, so well, insightful. Yeah. And I really appreciate you taking the time. Is there anything you wanted to add or discuss or talk about before we, uh, before we end the, end yeah, the talk? no, I mean, as you mentioned, I do a weekly podcast. So if you're, if you've, anything that I said resonated with you a little bit, check that out. And you just go to sellingyourscreenplay.com and you can see all my links, my Twitter, my Instagram, my, you know, all the stuff, Facebook, all that stuff is on there. And, um, it's a you know free weekly podcast. It comes out once a week on Mondays and, um, you know, hopefully people get some value out of it. Awesome. Thank you so much so, again. I really enjoyed you. speaking with you and, uh, yeah, check out the podcast sellingyourscreenplay.com and, uh, check out the, the pinch on Amazon. Yep, for sure, for sure. So I appreciate it too. Take it easy. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye.